Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you, Danny. Appreciate your time, all of you. Oh, hey, guys. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I think we have... Tyler, I appreciate you joining our availability, man, but I think you might be on the wrong... You might have entered the wrong media availability (laughs) session. Um, uh, Yeah, actually, I don't think that he did. Um, I'd like to announce to the media that uh, today I would like to formally announce Tyler Reddick is part of a future member of the 2311 and Toyota racing family starting in 2024. So, hi, buddy. Hey. What's up? <laughs> What's up? Thanks. Surprise? Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to NASCAR America Motor Mouse. You just saw that's how the big news landed in NASCAR yesterday. Nate Ryan here with Jeff Burton. Dustin Long, are you in the right... What am I doing here? Yeah, I'm I, not supposed to be Dustin here. Dustin Long is supposed to be here. He is in the right place. We also have Parker Kligerman uh, joining us from Stanford a little bit here. But let's let's start discussing the news. I mean, your take, did you know that Tyler Reddick was going to go drive for 2311 racing in 2024 before yesterday? Well, I'm not going to answer that question. But I will. I will <laughs> I, my first... I want to let everybody know that when I found out I was coming on this show with two writers, I downloaded the dictionary in my phone so I would <laughs> understand all the words that are going to be used today. We're, we're ganging up on you. Two uh, laptops versus zero. Don't, so, don't listen, feel intimidated. I, I, no, I did not know. And, and, I, and what was great about that video is as you're watching the members of the media, they all still think it's a joke. They're all like, ah, oh, it's funny. And they're like, wait a minute, this is real. But, you know, the the... I think it's a brilliant move by Denny Hamlin and his team. I, I think it's, you know, if you look at what Denny Hamlin is building there, I think he's done a great job. Um, they're bringing in a guy that I believe is a franchise player. And if you think about, you know, Michael Jordan and what one player can do, a one great quarterback, one great driver can do, one great player on the NBA team, he can have a major impact, not just in an individual race, but in winning championships. And they believe they got their guy and I think they did too and I, I, I appreciate the aggressiveness I hate it for Richard Childress racing I, you guys know I'm a huge fan of Richard Childress uh, I do think Richard has an opportunity here right not every situation has to be bad I think Richard can view this he needs to keep giving Tyler Reddick the equipment he can win races with and even improve it and that will help recruit the next guy and maybe with all the shakeups that are going on in this sport and are going to go on the sport RC can come out in a better situation. And RC is like a cat. You throw him up in there and he's going to land on his feet. And because he's smart, he's savvy, he's smart, he's been around. Um, I hate it for him, but knowing Richard, 
you know, they're not going to look at this as the end of something. They're going to look at it as the opportunity for a beginning. And Denny Hamlin talked about, Jeff, how that they discussed that timing. And he felt as if this is going to happen. We know Tyler Reddick's going to leave. It's better to rip the Band-Aid off now and give Richard Childress Racing a little bit of runway, even though it's going to be a little bit awkward, Dustin. And But this has happened with Richard Childress Racing before. Unfortunately, <laughs> they lose Kevin Harvick for the 2013 season or the, uh, to Stuart Haas Racing, and they knew about that before Harvick raced out the 2013 season. Yeah, I, and again, I think, like Jeff said, this is a brilliant move because I think what it is is, is Denny Hamlin's getting ahead of, of, of the game. And Steve Oletta, the president of 2311, talked about you know, that they want to be uh, a transformative team, an innovative team, an aggressive team. And by getting a driver for 2024, uh, they have done that. And again, in 2023, what you're looking at is a potential for a free, a free agent frenzy. Kevin Harvick's contract expires after the 2023 season. You've got two contracts at Hendrick Motorsports, Kyle Larson, Alex Bowman that are up. Joey Logano's contract's up, although I know they've talked about doing an extension there. Martin Truex Jr. has only committed for one season. Um, there's some other potential ones out there, too. So there were a lot of race-winning teams that have the potential to have an opening that could have tried to lure and get in the game on Tyler Reddick. And Denny Hamlin's like, look, this is the guy that I want, and so I'm going to strike while the iron is hot, and I'm going to beat people to the punch on this. And again, this is, this is becoming the 2311 uh, modus operandi. You know, one thing that I think is interesting that nobody's talked about is right now, is 2311 better than RCR? So we talk a lot about Denny Hamlin saying, there's my guy. That's my franchise driver. Tyler Reddick had to do the same with 2311. And, and that shows the faith that he has in what Denny Hamlin can make happen, what Toyota can make happen. Because 2311 right now today is not a better ride right. than Richard Childress but, Racing. Uh, it's it's got as many wins as Richard Childress Racing. Look at the sure. points. Yeah. Look at, right? Yeah. It's not a better yeah. ride right now. Yeah. But Tyler Reddick's looking at the future. And yeah. he is, not only is Denny Hamlin saying, that's my guy, Tyler Reddick's doing the same thing. And he's, he's looking down the road the same way Hamlin is saying, okay, I'm not going to look at just results today. I want to look at results two years from now. Where are we going to be two years from now? And that shows a tremendous amount of faith. And what I believe is one of the hottest free agents you know, a year ahead, right. uh, one of the hottest free agents on the market. Right, and Dustin wrote a nice story about that on NBCSports.com last night. Okay, so we've heard from retired driver, we've heard from sports writer, going to bring in an active NASCAR driver, Parker Kligerman, joining us in Stanford, the most recent winner in the Truck Series. Parker, what did you make of this news? I know that you've, you've talked to Tyler Reddick both as a driver and as a pit reporter. Your thoughts on all of this? Well, I, uh, I think it's pretty cool, at least, you know, in terms of a young team investing in the sport. I mean, you guys allude to he was a hot prospect. We knew that. I actually had that discussion with him back at Coda earlier this year, just sort of he and I were doing a track walk, and I was inquiring, you know, maybe as a friend a little bit, maybe as a member of uh, NBC Sports, and sort of being like, you know, what's going on? What's on your mind? And he just said, you know, right now I'm focused on getting the best performance. But you could tell he knew. He was a hot prospect. These discussions were happening in the background. And I think that what's cool about this is it's a young team investing. And you look at the accession of 2311. I mean, they go from one car to two cars to now plotting this far in the future. We've heard the discussions about the, some of the things they want to do in terms of building shops and that sort of thing. So I think it's cool to see this in NASCAR that we haven't seen 
you know, in years prior, in, in the last decade or so, is these younger teams like this, like a track house, that are coming in and making these investments and making investments for the future so far in advance. And I think one thing about this that was really interesting, just in some of the uh, comments I saw in your article, Dustin, which was Danny basically saying, like, we don't have the sponsor figured out. We're not exactly sure where the money's coming from, but we're getting this driver and we're going to figure it out. Like, that's cool. I just love that. That shows a team that's just focused on one thing and one thing only, and that's they want to have the best performance possible come uh, the time that Tyler Reddick hops in that car. And, and, and that's one thing that I think is, is, is really important to look at is, and it's kind of like what you talked about, Jeff, is Tyler's looking at 2311. Denny Hamlin's talked about a five-year plan to be a championship type of team. Well, in 2024, that'll be the fourth year of the organization. So Tyler Reddick's looking at an organization that should be more uh, higher on the rise in, in terms of that planning. And for, and for Denny Hamlin, he's getting a Tyler Reddick who will have been in the series for four seasons and will have had nearly 150 cup starts. And you look at, he's 28 years old. That's a guy that you can build around for more than a decade. And if you look at some of the other guys that will be under 30 in, in 2024, all right, well, Chase Elliott will be, 20, will be 28. Well, wait a minute, he signed through 2027, so you can't get him. William Byron is, will be 26. Well, wait a minute, he signed through 2025. You're not going to touch him. Ty Gibbs, we expect to be up at Joe Gibbs Racing. He'll be 21. You won't touch him. So then you're looking at a, a Christopher Bell, uh, uh, an Austin Sindrick. You know, Christopher Bell, presumably, will still be at Joe Gibbs Racing. Austin Sindrick, Daytona 500 winner. You know, people don't leave Team Penske for the most part, so he should be set there. Uh, a Chase Briscoe, if he continues to have success, you would assume still be at Stewart Haas Racing. So who are you going to get? Where are you going to build around? And if you're wanting to build around some young talent, here's a guy that's sitting there. Go get them, and that's what that's what they, that's what they did. They looked at the picture and what the what the future was going to be, and say we're going to take it right now. And Denny Hamlin discussed yesterday why he wanted Tyler Reddick, and let's let's take a listen to what he said during that news conference. Not one. It's been every time I've been on the racetrack with him. <laughs> you know, it's 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 easy to spot talent when you got to go against it. I mean, I can tell you that it's much easier, but. I mean, for me personally, it's some of the things he did in Xfinity really was amazing. And, and again, winning two championships with two different teams. Um, I mean, seeing the way that he, you know, was able to run the wall at Homestead, it's just, I mean, Larson-esque, right? And, and you know, I, I've had my fair share of success around that track, but still, like, I, I can't compete with that. So, it's you know, it, it made sense to me. It's like, you know, you look at the his age, his runway that he has. It uh, to me, you know, when you have you know franchise drivers don't come around that often. And so, if there's ever one that you, you feel like uh, you can grab, you go after it and you do whatever it takes to make that happen. And then you work on the details later. So Denny mentions. So Denny mentions there that they won, or that he was really caught, his, his eye was caught by the fact that Tyler Reddick won back-to-back Xfinity championships in that Homestead Miami Speedway finale. Jeff, I know that that resonated with you as well, especially 2019, Tyler Reddick goes to Xfinity uh, as you know, a title contender at Homestead Miami Speedway and beats what was then the big three in Xfinity, Cole Custer, uh, Chase Briscoe, Christopher Bell, and that was a big moment in his career. For me, it was huge. I, I mean, he went, you know, he was not the guy that I was thinking would do this uh, on that particular day. I was pretty convinced that there was no way he would end the race with the car in one piece. And he not only beat them, he destroyed them. And and you talked about it, the big three, and all three of those guys are in cup racing today. And 
on one of our more difficult racetracks, he, he did it. And that, that really woke me up to Tyler Reddick and his ability. Uh, my biggest concern for him prior to that was can he connect all the dots and put the whole race together. There's a lot of fast race car drivers. There's very few that can go fast and do it for 400, 500 miles. In that case, an Xfinity race shorter, but he was able to do it. The other thing that I think we cannot uh, pay attention to is that when, when Denny Hamlin's talking about how good Tyler Reddick is, it's everywhere. He's a good plate racer. He's a good road course racer. He's a good short track racer. He's good at mile and a half. And that's really important because what's the schedule going to be four years from now? Who knows? There's no telling. And so if, if you're looking to hire a young driver, you better have a guy that has proven over a period of time that he can run everywhere. I'm talking about a franchise guy. That guy, you can't have a weakness. Now, you're not going to be the best at everything. You've got to continually be, in, be honing your craft. But it's easy to say, hey, we got, we got a lot of road course racing. Do we know that's what it's going to be five years from no. now? I mean, this no. schedule right. has never been this, in, in, in the modern era, has never been this flexible. Well, so, he's, show, he's also shown he can get better, as especially oh, like sure. the road courses. And things. So sure. as, as the as schedule changes, as evolves, here's a guy you feel confident in that can raise his game and match what, what the 100%. schedule demands. He, wasn't a, he was not a very good road racer, and he became one. Yes. And, and you, that's what you – listen, I've never – this is an exciting time in the sport. you got owners investing. Parker made a great point. This is how it used to be. When, when, I, was, when I was – the one little time I was a hot commodity on the free agent <laughs> market, no one said, hey, you got money? You got a sponsor? That wasn't the question. The question was – can you come and drive this damn thing as hard as you can drive it and win races? Yeah, I can do that. You're hired. That was the deal. There was never a conversation about can you bring money. And that's that's where we're getting. And yeah. that's a great thing. Yeah. And I know, Parker, you can relate to that. I know you have I, some thoughts on that. I love that. that. That's, that's my truck team right now. That's all they've ever asked me, which is great of them. I'm very happy with them. But, no, I think, you know, just looking back, you mentioned him getting bet on road courses. There's no doubt that that occurred because – you know, just looking back at last year in the Cup Series, he was that was one of his progress was focusing on getting better at road course racing, and he did that and now got his first win on a road course. But I go all the way back to that 2018 first Xfinity Series championship. I sat with Tyler and that nine and that junior motorsports team in that hall or probably midsummer. They were a bit lost. He had looked at me and said, I'm not sure if I'm figuring out these cars right. It was so many questions about how to be successful in NASCAR. He went to Homestead though put on that incredible performance and from that moment onward it became you know Tyler Reddick what you know how do I what else can I do right like and then just goes on to become a dominant force in Xfinity does it again for a second year at a different team and from there it was Tyler Reddick you know what can he not do right and I think that's one of the things that has been amazing for me watching Tyler and his accession and how he's gotten better you mentioned him being good at all those different track types Jeff but it's been amazing for me to see how quickly he's able to go from a place where he feels like maybe at a road course he's not that good to being one of the best there is right now at doing that. So it's just like one of the most amazing things, and that's what I think really sticks out to someone like a Denny Hamlin who's driving against him, right? Like that's a unique thing too, to get hired by someone you're racing against, right? Like that, that person, ha you, we always talk about race car drivers getting the respect of our peers, right? That's, a, that's something that matters to us at times. It's very cool when a, other race car drivers respect what you do in the race car. But the ultimate form of respect is them to then come up to you and say, hey, I actually want to pay you to drive my race car. Like, that is just an incredible <laughs> thing. And I don't, I mean, that's, 
I think that alone is an amazing you know, mark of his talent and his ability, let alone what we've seen in the past and what, what Denny thinks he has to offer in the future. Yeah, the compliment sure. flows a little better with a paycheck, right? Uh, Jeff Gordon picking Jimmy, Jimmy Johnson, Johnson. Yeah. in yeah. Xfinity races where Jimmy race. Johnson wasn't winning. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. the guy, yeah. right? And yeah. that's what Parker's talking about. When you're racing with somebody, you know what, if they can do it or not. And recognizing that anybody can look and pick a winner and say, that guy can win. I want him to drive. The people that can see the talent looking beyond results, those are the best in any sport at draft picks, at free agency, they're the ones that make make winning races. Yeah, Denny Hamlin certainly and knows a winning driver. Real quick, just off it. that, Jeff, just one thing. You mentioned seeing the talent. I think that's one thing fans need to understand. It's not just results. Like, when we talk about seeing what he's doing, it's not the results. It's watching the little things he does in the race car, exactly. whether yeah. it's certain race, you know, corners right. on the road courses breaking, it's running the wall, it's being fast at short tracks and taking care of the car and, and being able to hang it out in the right rear at the larger 1.5-mile tr- tracks. Like, those are the things that add up that we see as racers that stick out to us to say, okay, that person is doing something unique. They're, fi- you know, they're finding something special right there that not everyone finds. I think that's a really important yeah. part, too. Definitely not visible to the naked eye of two of the panelists on today's program. <laughs> and for probably a lot of those who are calling us here on 844-NASCAR-NBC, this is a call-in show, NASCAR America Motor Mouse, and we'll start with our first call from NASCAR. NASCAR, welcome to the program. What you got? Hey, this is a time when I wish I could be sitting at the desk with you instead of the caller because there's a lot to unpack here. Trust me. Um, I I mean, Jeff, I I really, I don't know, Richard, obviously, as you do. And I I believe you when you say that, hey, he's going to land on his feet and this and that. But this, we see Brad trying to turn around Roush. We see, to, but I just feel that this hurts the team. I mean, he had to obviously sign him when he won back to back, or he would have definitely went somewhere else. But the fact that not keeping him, I just hate to see this for the teams of Rouse and Childress. And you say they'll bounce back, but what does this really do for Richard Tortoise knowing, okay, yeah, we're going to give them, they're going to compete, they're going to go at it. But I, I still think that this hurts not being able to keep the talent like Reddick. Yes, there's a lot of talent coming up. I think he'll be true to either Sheldon or Austin and their development in that eight-car coming future. But I just kind of dis- I think this hurts him a little bit more. Than, than people are saying, and, and that's just how I feel. But this is just, there's a lot to unpack here. Well, so initially I agree with you. I, I, I mean, you can't lose a guy that I just said is a franchise driver and it not hurt you. But my point is that it doesn't have to. There is a way. If not, why own a team? If you don't think you can figure it out, then why own a team? And, and if you don't, as a driver, feel like, okay, I just had a bad situation. I can turn it into something good. Don't be a driver. Like, there's challenges in business. There's challenges in sports. And you've got to find a way to say, all right, man, this is not good. But then 18 months from now have put yourself in a position that it works. And that's what I'm saying that Richard has had a, made a history of doing. And, and – don't count him out. That's, it is a challenge. There's no question it's a challenge. There's no question it's a loss. I'm not minimizing that. But don't minimize the resilience of Richard Childress. Don't underestimate it.
Can he get a veteran though? I mean, or did, did, I mean, because normally, like, he's bringing somebody along, you know, like a Tyler Reddick. He moves him up from Xfinity to Cup after winning the Xfinity Championship. Does he have to go get a veteran, or or can he bring up an Austin Hill or a Sheldon Creed like so, NASCAR? So when I say that there's opportunities, there is so much interest in our sport right now, and that means that there's interest from sponsors, there's interest from ownership, there's interest in drivers, there's interest in a lot, and the more interest there is, there's more opportunities. And so all I'm saying is sometimes a major thing like this shakes the trees and forces you to do some things that you wouldn't have done otherwise. And we don't know what's going to happen. I'm not sitting here today. I have zero idea (laughs) what's going to happen. I suspect Richard Childress doesn't either, right? But I will tell you this. I left Richard Childress Racing. I left Jack Roush Racing, okay? Carl Levers took my seat. They immediately started winning. A year later, we were part of a group that turned RCR around, and we all started winning. And we put, we put all of our drivers in the playoffs for multiple years, multiple years. We both won. RCR won as well as Roush won. So there is an opportunity here if you find a way to make it work. So let me ask you this, and, and this is even something maybe Parker can chime in on uh, from a driver's perspective. You basically have to go tell your team now, hey, you're not good enough for me, or I'm leaving. So how does the team accept that? How do you work through that? Is, is everybody just accept that's business and move on and continue to have success or try to build upon success as they've had this year? Or how do you prevent this from kind of breaking, a, uh, creating some cracks in a, in a, in a team? So, you ha- so listen, it's awkward. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be stressful. It's going to be... Uh, it's going to test them all. It's going to test them all. They shouldn't hide behind that. But at the end of the day, if you want to be in this sport, you better be the best tire changer you can be. You better be the best car chief you can be. You better be the best driver you can be. You better be the best shock specialist you can be. No matter what the situation is, if, you, if they all focus on that, the worst saying in sport is there's no I in team. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> if everybody does their job that makes the team. So the best team is made of a bunch of eyes. All people doing their job to make the team. It drives me nuts there's no eye in team. It's a bunch of eyes in team. I mean, that's what it is. So you, so Richard's got to be the leader and rally those guys and remind them that for us to get where we need to be, we're recruiting. We're recruiting the next driver. We're recruiting the next guy. We're recruiting that guy. If this car goes and beats that car, we're going to have a better driver than Tyler Reddick. That's what he's got to be selling. It's a hard thing to do, but that's what he's got to be doing. That sounds like some Kyle Petty thinking to me a little bit, the I and team <laughs> stuff. But I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. I would also say, you know, there is, uh, I think, you know, when you look at the length of time between now and when he'll be going to 2311, I'm sure there's some questions as to who he's working with, whether it's on the crew chief side or engineers, what their contract situation is, and maybe some people that he's built relationships with that maybe he wants to continue in the future. So it doesn't always mean just because he's announced his bit, it doesn't mean you know there might be others that he's worked with a long time or in any of these situations that you try to maybe say, hey, how can we line up in the next place as well? So I think it's also, you know, you mentioned Richard and the organization. I think it falls on Austin Dillon, too. Like, this is, you know, as much his organization 
as it is Richard Childress's. It's his grandpa. It's his family's business. He needs to go out there and continue to show that this is a championship-caliber race team, that they build playoff-caliber race cars. He can go contend for a championship because that's going to make it a more attractive place to all those things you mentioned, Jeff, whether it's sponsors, other drivers out there, or interested parties that are looking at to get into the sport in some capacity. I think all those things matter. So this falls on everyone who has some part or invested interest in RCR to go out there and put the best foot forward to saying, yes, this is a blow, but we have to do what we've been doing and continue to try and build up and use this time that we've had a guy like that to show why we can get another one or get other interested people uh, involved in the, in the organization. Yeah, definitely crazy day uh, in NASCAR silly season news. It's a crazy day on the IndyCar side as well. When we come back after the break, we're going to be talking about some driver contract news in IndyCar with IndyCar and NBC analyst James Hinchcliffe. There he is ahead of this weekend's race in Toronto. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. It's another busy motorsports weekend on NBC properties. We've got Dale Jr. download tomorrow, 6 p.m. Eastern on Peacock with Tony Urie Jr. We've got sports car racing going on in Lime Rock on Saturday. World Superbike Sunday on CNBC from Great Britain. Monster Jam Seattle Saturday CNBC. Of course, we've got Cup and Xfinity from New Hampshire on USA Saturday and Sunday. And... On Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern, on Peacock, it's the NTT IndyCar Series from the streets of Toronto for the first time in three years. And I think we thought that was going to be the big story going into Honda Honda IndyCar in Toronto. But actually, there's been some other big news. And joining us now to discuss that is James Hinchcliffe. And we were just joking, Hinch, that no one knows more about driver contracts uh, and how sticky they can get than you. And uh, certainly got an interesting situation right now where we have the defending series champion, Alex Pelot, being claimed by two teams for next year with Ganassi and McLaren, both saying they have him signed for 2023. Give us your take. I mean, nice to be wanted, I guess, right? That's uh, <laughs> it's certainly better than trying to convince a team to keep you. So, I mean, in some ways, you can't feel too bad for Alex Pelot, but at the same time, man, I have not seen anything quite like this. When you look at everything that came out yesterday between the press release from CGR, the press release from McLaren, the tweets themselves from Alex Pillow, everything seems very carefully crafted, very carefully worded. There's been a lot of lawyers, I think, consulting both sides of this. They both knew this was coming. The entire motorsports world was shocked by this, but there was at least three people that I think knew you know, something was coming tomorrow. I don't know how this one plays out. Historically speaking, you've got to think that Chip Ganassi Racing does have the legal advantage here, but having absolutely no idea what any of these contracts say, that's that's pure speculation. Uh, But, man, it's definitely an interesting situation, and, uh, man, I don't know who I put my money on at this point. (laughs) And, James, you mentioned something. This has been really public, which is unusual in racing, I think, in a lot of respects, when we talk about contract negotiations and this sort of this sort of discussion happening it's normally behind closed doors because unlike other sports 
we're not really, you know, we don't have any obligation to put it out there. There's no sanction by that sort of sets the rules on this sort of thing. We as drivers are general contractors. So that's what I find fascinating is that there is no intermediary here. This is going to come between these two teams to figure this out themselves in a lot of ways. Yeah, ultimately, I mean, the, 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 it's, it's, it's a fun thing to toss around. Hey, there could be lawsuits here. There could be courts involved, whatever, whatever. But I think what's important to remember is a lot of these racing contracts, they deal in arbitration. It's not going to a jury trial or anything like that. You're going to have potentially a, a panel of one to maybe three lawyers, judges, whatever, that you have to, they, they know nothing about motorsports. you got to convince them that you're right or the other side is wrong. And that's a very difficult thing to do. So most of these things, Parker, to your point, they get settled on the side. I don't know if what Chip Ganassi Racing was doing was a big flex to make sure they get a big number out of McLaren for them to take below. I don't know if they're really going to hang on to him. There's Again, I've not seen anything quite like this. It's very unique. But at the end of the day, I think I've just got to say, I do genuinely feel bad for Alex Pillow because this is supposed to be a moment where he's happy about announcing a new team, a new direction, a new part of his career. And it's embroiled in all this drama, all the legalities of it. Obviously, there's going to be some ugliness back and forth with his team, who, guys, he's still fighting it for a championship with. They still have seven races to go together. This could make Toronto a bit of a you know difficult situation for him. He already hasn't been to the racetrack. Now he's got this distraction off the track. It's going to be interesting to see how this affects not just Pelot, but the entire CGR organization. It's fascinating to me that it went public. Yeah. It's fascinating yeah. to me that there wasn't a, hey, don't do that. You know what I mean? Like, I, it's just amazing that, the, that lawyers didn't get in somehow or another, you know, like how it got here is really interesting. I hope one day we'll really understand what really happened because it's clearly legal different opinions about what the contract says. And uh, it's going to be not fun for Alex <laughs> and not fun for all those guys, but fascinating for all of us to watch. But back to the racing. So been away from Toronto for a few years. Uh, what do you expect there this weekend? I mean, I think you have to expect the unexpected. Honestly, nobody's raced there with the aero screen. I did the math earlier. 12 of the 25 drivers going have never raced an IndyCar at Toronto. Most of them haven't even been around the track in any car at all. And three of those drivers are in the top seven in points. So it's definitely a weekend that's going to lend a little bit of favor to the drivers that have that experience there. People like Simon Pagenaud, Joseph Newgarden, Scott Dixon, Alex Rossi. They've run there, they've won there, they've competed well there. It's, you know, it's still a reduced format, only the one practice on Friday, one Saturday before qualifying. So it's it's going to be tricky, but I think everybody's just so excited to be going back. This event is one of the favorites among teams, among drivers, among fans. And I was kind of nervous. After two years off the schedule, was it going to be sort of an out of sight, out of mind, and really nobody was going to come back to this version of the race? But I've been talking to the promoters, talking to people around town, this race is going to be huge. Ticket sales are big. Suite sales are big. Everybody's excited to be back, to be out, to be doing stuff. And IndyCar is some fun stuff to do. So I think it's going to be a heck of a weekend. I can't wait to get there. Hey, hey James, I want to ask you about one element for this weekend's race at Toronto. And certainly it's a tight course, so passing can be difficult. And one of the things we often hear about with some IndyCar races, especially at street core races, and it's maybe something we'll be discussing about NASCAR in the future is, uh, is about street course, is just the in-lap and out-lap. And from a driver's perspective of getting that, you know, getting that fast lap on those tires when they're worn coming into pit road and then taking off on these tires that are cold, I, I, as a writer, I don't know, uh, since I'm not in the seat, I can't appreciate the talent or the challenge that a driver goes through to do that. Can you explain a little bit of that, uh, you know, as I watch it on Sunday, 
what that's what what I'm seeing and, and what kind of a test of skill that is. Well, I mean, we talk about the pit cycles all the time on the broadcast, you know, those in and out laps, the undercuts, the overcuts. And the outlap is really one of the most challenging parts. You know, unlike Formula One, we don't have tire warmers. So the tires are cold. The cars are full of fuel. The ride heights are a bit low. It's difficult on any circuit. But you go to like a, say, a mid-Ohio like last week, if you get things wrong a little bit, you might drop a wheel in the dirt, something like that. Around Toronto, there's no room for error. It's all concrete walls and tire barriers. So you're not, you're not allowed to drop a tire. And the other thing that makes it so challenging is I think more than any other street circuit even that we go to, there are so many different surfaces in Toronto. There's pavement patches, concrete patches, cement patches, sometimes all three in the same corner. And all three of those have a different level of grip, both when the tires are hot and, more importantly, when the tires are cold. So these drivers that have that experience coming out of the pits at a place like Toronto, knowing where those danger zones are, where those problem areas can be, I do think have the advantage. But it's, it's like trying to you know drive a car on ice as fast as possible with absolutely zero room for error. It's a huge challenge. Yeah, and be able to follow all those challenges on Peacock this weekend. Practice, qualifying, and the race Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern, live on Peacock. So definitely check that out. James Hinchcliffe, going to be a lot to talk about this weekend. Thanks for joining us. We'll look forward to what you have to say on Peacock this weekend as well. When we come back on NASCAR American Motor Mouse, we've got another guest. We've got Rudy Fugel, crew chief through William Byron, will be joining us. There he is. Come back and join us on the other side. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Well, playoff leaderboard after Atlanta going to New Hampshire this weekend. Chase Elliott's in there leading it, but William Byron sitting in third, 13 playoffs. I think what's fascinating about this playoff leaderboard is there's no one with a massive advantage like we've seen in the beginning of this playoffs, and that makes every race that much more important. So this weekend we go to New Hampshire. We know uh, how difficult that racetrack is, and we're lucky to have one of the best crew chief in the series, William Byron's crew chief, Rudy Fugel. What's up, man? Hey, guys. I uh, appreciate you having me on. It's, uh, it's been a while. It's, it's always fun joining you. Thanks for joining us. I got, let's get right after it, man. What about New Hampshire? What's the most challenging part about it? And what, have, uh, what are your chances this weekend? Yeah, no, I, I really I really like New Hampshire. It's uh, it, It's got a lot of things balled up into one. You know, it, it takes a lot of mechanical grip. Um, you you got to be good over the brakes, and then you got to have good shock package and uh, and and uh, spring package to get over the bumps, especially into turn three. It's uh, one of the more challenging braking uh, parts in, in, in all of NASCAR. So, um, and then and then you you got a flat corner, um, which it's, it's hard to get it turned and going the other way and put the power down. So, um, a lot of challenges that uh, if you get the car right, you can uh, you can be pretty good and stand out. You know, so that's what you enjoy as a crew chief is, is taking that challenge and and trying to uh, to stand out. So. Um, this car especially seems to, uh, you know, it's, it's really hard to get a handle on the flat tracks, um, you know, and get a, get a feel for it. But, you know, we've had, we've had enough of them this year that, um, we've learned on and, and then feel really good going into this weekend. Rudy, uh, mixed results at Atlanta Motor Speedway for Hendrick Motorsports. Of course you get the win with Chase Elliott, but I know for your team, it didn't go the way you wanted. 
and really since the wins in Atlanta and Martinsville earlier this year, um, you guys have run well, but the results don't really indicate it. When I, I asked William Byron about that before Atlanta, and he seemed like, hey, we're in good spirits. We know it's just a matter of the luck turning. What, what are you telling the team right now? And you sort of feel the same way, that if you just get a little bit of luck, the timing works out a little bit better, you guys are going to start reeling off top fives and maybe some wins again. Yeah, no, it's it's been a tough stretch to uh... – you know, keep everybody motivated and going, you know, and, and working hard. But we have, we have great people here. So, um, you know, having speed is super important. We've come back from the break, um, you know, and just had some terrible luck. But we've, we've, we've shown speed during those races, passed a lot of cars, um, ran up front, led a lot of Atlanta. Um, and then and just the, I can go through every single race and, and tell you what went wrong. But so can everybody else. So it's, it's all about results. We all know that. So. But, but from a team aspect and from a building aspect and making sure you're ready for the playoffs, um, it's, it's, it's about what makes the cars go fast, what makes the right adjustments during the race, are you building the right team for car preparation, for pit stop, and, and, and how you adjust during those pit stops, and, and that kind of stuff. And, and that's what I think we're doing really, really well. So we're, we're building on all of those things, and I feel like the 24 team is getting stronger. We just, you know, the results haven't shown it yet, and... Um, you know, it's, it's, it's time to, to show up and do that. So hopefully this weekend will be the time to do it and uh, um, feel really, really good about it. You know, Loudon, Loudon should transfer over to Richmond um, and then and then to Phoenix for the for finale, and hopefully we're racing for a championship at that point. So very important race for gathering information. You know, you don't have to win it. You have to, have to leave here knowing lots of good things and, and be able to get better. Definitely very interesting. Rudy, I think you and William Byron have one of the most interesting driver-crew chief relationships, I think, in the sport because of kind of how you guys have joined up in the Cup Series. You, you look back, you're successful in the Truck Series, you separate for a while, you rejoin together in the Cup Series. And this year, I feel like, you know, there's some things he's been doing that I know you're a fan of, which is going out there and racing late models. And it seems like he's had so much success there that's been translated to the Cup Series. I just feel like you've been a big influence in making him, you know, having helping him go do that and sort of inspiring him to do that. What is it about your relationship that you guys sort of developed in the truck series, have taken the cup series and, and sort of used throughout all the different motorsports he's going and doing right now, or different racing he's doing? Well, first of all, i got to say congrats to you and, and Chris Carrier and that whole 75 team. That Thanks, was an buddy. awesome win. So proud of you, and, and you've been a good friend over the years, and Chris is a great friend, so super proud of you. But um, you know, for, for William and I, I mean, it's, it's probably a relationship similar to what you and Chris have, you know, it's, um, you know, we're not, we're not like, we're, we're not best friends. We don't go to movies and go to dinner and do all those things, but we trust each other. We know each other and we have each other's backs no matter what. And, um, I, I know and believe that no matter what happens, if I give him a good enough car and a good enough team behind him, that he can do the right things. And, and he, he, he believes the same thing out of me that if he gives me the right feedback that we can, we can get better and do the right things. So that that trust is what's bred everything you know and then this off season and it's probably the tail end of last year just talked about how much you know with less track time and cup how much fun it is running different series and you know there i think as a cup driver there's always a little bit of worry of oh, i'm going to go and run bad and everybody's going to going to laugh at me or whatever you know and and so you have to get past that and know that it's it, a it's for fun b it's to get better and and c it's like no matter where we're going to race, you know, it's the best, you know, the best. You know, you're racing against Bo Pollard and, and, and Prima Jeske and, and Ben House last night and Matt Kenseth and 40 guys from Wisconsin that are just phenomenal racers. And, and to be able to, you know, kick, kick butt like you did last night 
Um, he struggled for a day and a half and sat on the pole and then go win that race. It was one of the most exciting endings you'll you'll see. So um, I'm super proud of him for for stepping out of his comfort zone and pushing his limits. You know, and that's that's what's what's huge. You know, a lot of guys do that in different ways, but they don't always do it in front of a crowd, right? You don't do it in front of everybody who. If you go up there and, and miss the show, which good people, cup drivers could go miss the show at Slinger, like most people that don't know how hard it is are going to laugh at you. And, and you have to get past that, and, and he's done that, and, and it's it's paid off. And he's he's a way more complete driver this year, and it's just going to keep growing. That's awesome. Hey, hey Rudy, I want to ask you, looking ahead to this weekend at, uh, at New Hampshire, and, you know, we kind of hear that about shifting is going to be another key aspect and maybe potentially, I guess, are guys going to be shifting twice in a corner or something like that? How much shifting is going to go on, and how might that impact uh, the racing and even things, decisions or things that you'll do on the box during the race on Sunday? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like most tracks, you're gonna you're gonna downshift at least once every corner, um, and then there's there's definitely a possibility of shifting down to third, um, you know, later in the run, or you know, it might work out if you're running the bottom that that's the way to go. You know, we, we're gonna have to live and learn on on you know we all kind of know where we're going to be at for pace and whatnot but that overall lap time that we run because of track grip and different reasons the heat in the track is is what will determine you know what what gear if we get down to third so that's two down shifts every corner um two up shifts on every straightaway uh that's that's a lot of times to make a mistake you know and a lot of that um the hard part of that is like doing some of that under those braking zones over the bumps and, and the car's out of control and it puts it makes you miss the corner and and you see people doing that in qualifying and whatnot when they're pushing really hard um but but it also makes it a lot harder to pass too guys that are struggling can use that downshift as a little bit of a handicap it, it helps rotate the car um you have more rpm so it turns on the throttle better it turns on the downshift so um that's that's some of the short track uh, where it's it's harder to pass at times uh, you're better than a guy clearly but you, that, that guy has learned how to make his car better so it's it's a tool for the driver when he's struggling to be able to downshift so um, definitely expect a shift every single corner every lap and in some laps too that's why i love this show because a guy like rudy fugel can come here and break down what it takes to win new hampshire and, the, <laughs> and i mean seriously like that's those things are how you win it and and on that topic rudy like, the breaking into turn three is one of the most challenging breaking zones on an oval uh, in all of racing. Do, with this car, are you going to, is the braking going to be able to go past that, past that bump into three, or are you going to be right on top of it bumping, or right on top of that bump when you brake? Sorry, my stand here. Hold Did we hit phone. a bump on your desk real quick? Yeah. There? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry about that. But, um, yeah, so... You know, I, I think that's that's what's going to be really interesting for qualifying. Because so I think in the in practice, you're going to be able to modulate that brake pressure and just roll a little bit more speed or do some different things um, and, and, and manage that bump and get a good feel for it, and that's how the race will go. Uh, qualifying is what I'm really super interested in is because that's when you're going to want to pick up that, what is it, half second, whatever it is, to go faster. And, the you know, as from a driver's standpoint, the first thought is I'm just going to get in harder. And, uh and that's that's where I think um, that that'll be the biggest thing to watch in, in qualifying. You know, both corners, but turn three especially is uh, is watching how that works out and and who makes that mistake. Because if you know the way we've kind of talked about, where we blow tires at different tracks, 
and we've you guys have heard about internal bump stops and the shocks and stuff like that well we're running so close to those or you're on them and then you you hit the brakes just a little bit harder and the next thing you know you you excite the car and it bounces like crazy and you're up a groove and then uh and like I said, when, once you get in practice and the race, most of that stuff will become second nature and the driver just knows to handle it. But qualifying, you're going to see a lot of guys, I think, uh, miss that or overstep it and um, should be interesting. And you mentioned qualifying and how important it is because often track position is really important. We've seen that be really important in some of these tracks of this car. So talk to me about what have you guys been working on for passing here at New Hampshire? I know you've probably spent some time the same with William and looked at different things and what you've learned maybe when you look back at Gateway and some of these other tracks like this where you've said, okay, this is what we really need to be focused on if we are further back in the pack as how we're going to pass. Like what is that? some of the things that stick out to you? Yeah, no, we spent a lot of time this week. It's a good point on, on how to – how do I identify, you know, what parts of the track make the most lap time? So where the fast cars all are fast. You know, we break the track down into segments and say, hey, entry, early entry, middle, wherever. The, these parts of the corner make lap time. All the fast cars that are making laps make it here. And then we also have some analysis on, hey, the most passes are made in this part of the corner. So you kind of know, like, okay, to go fast, I need to be good here. And to make passes, I need to be good here because sometimes they're in different spots. So, um, you know, one thing sets up the other. So we spend some time talking about that, showing that, making sure we have focus on it. So when we go to the sim, we can we can say, okay, we have we can give up this part of the corner a little bit to gain gain in other parts of the corner, you know. And then, um, uh, you know, qualifying's big a lot of getting that pit stop, you know. So uh, with the pit stops being so competitive on pit road, being faster. The slow stops to the fast stops are tighter, and getting in the stall the correct way, all and leaving the stall is huge. You know, so um, in, in, the easiest way to pass 40 years ago, and going to be 40 years from now, is on pit road. You know, so um, that's that's what you kind of really got to we got to we got to do a better job qualifying. We've done a poor job at that lately, and, um, and that's our main focus for us this week. Well, Rudy, uh, by the way, get your fuel mileage tuned in as well, because that's pretty, pretty important at New Hampshire. Uh, man, I, we really appreciate uh, your candor, your honesty, kind of pulling the curtain back a little bit, because that was an incredible amount of information. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, guys. Sorry for the phone falling there, but um, always, always good to be on here. Our viewers are used to those things on this show, so we, <laughs> we appreciate it. That, that, that was a fascinating conversation. Uh, it was great information. Like it you, really like was. Like you and Stevie always say, like when a guy comes out and gives you that much information about shipping, even yeah, I understand it. So great this stuff. Just awesome. But uh, when we come back, we're going, to, we're going to get some more callers, and we're going to have some Xfinity talk. Good Xfinity race last week and an important one this coming week. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The Wisconsin countryside is where you find America's national park of speed, Road America, to kick things off the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Noah Gregson being aggressive. Oh, oh there we go. No, no, so, so much damage. Look at, look at all these cars. One lap to go here at Road America. 
Ty Gibbs got into the right rear quarter panel. Larson misses his corner again. Ty Gibbs underneath him. And an amazing run for Ty Gibbs. He's going to win at Road America. Thank you. I'll go ahead, guys. Thank you, guys. Green flag in the air. We're racing at Road America. The race leader has come to pit road, Steve. I love this. This is mano y mano. You guys against us. Let's see who can go faster on pit road. Look at the race now off of pit road. Reddick right on the back bumper of Chase Elliott. Here comes the eight to the inside. A little bit of contact made. Can he get by him? What a move by Reddick. Tyler Reddick is going to win his first ever Cup Series race. What better place than Road America? I love the fans. I love this racetrack. We got it done. We won a race. I wonder if Tyler's baby woke up in time to hear the <laughs> announcement yesterday. Uh, slept all the way through Victory Lane. But uh, hey, this is a caller about the, this is a show about the callers. Let's get right to it. Tony, you're on. Hey guys, uh, first time caller. Uh, my question is, I hadn't heard. I didn't know. I missed the very beginning of the show. Why? Did Childress not sign him to a multi-year deal? He signed him to a one-year deal. I was surprised you know, when they announced that back what Road America. I'm like, why did he not sign him to a multi-year deal knowing he was a hotter prospect than he was? Did he just didn't, didn't think Danny was going to slip up there and get him or something? Hey, well, Tony, I'll say this. is It, it was uh, what, what Richard Childress Racing did was pick up the one-year option on the contract. So it was essentially a three-year contract. This will be the third year next year for for Tyler Reddick, and they picked up the contract, the option, and actually Richard Childress told myself and The Athletic back in March that that's what they were going to do. So they've known since the spring that, that Tyler was going to be there through 2023. Now, Jeff, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but typically, again, this is one of the things that makes Denny Hamlin's move, 2311's move surprising. His teams aren't always working to, to a year and a half ahead of time, and typically you wouldn't expect a team to be working on a contract extension to, through 2024. Yeah, I, I think, the, I think the, it's a good question, Tony. I think the better question is, as Dustin said, he signed a three-year deal with a one-year option. So this is the third year they picked up the option. He's, he's through 23. I think the better question, though, Jeff and Parker, might be why was Tyler Reddick allowed to be talking to other teams before yeah, yeah. Uh, next season? <laughs> well, well a, contract, a contract negotiation requires two parties. So, you know, not always when you sign a driver does the owner get to write it exactly the way he wants it, and the driver doesn't get to write it exactly the way he wants it. So you negotiate those things. And then everybody always thinks the most important part about contracts is the money. It's actually not. It's all those little details that allow you when you can talk, when you can have conversations, all those types of things. And clearly, uh, he was, you know, we haven't heard anything otherwise, that he was in his right to be talking to other teams in advance of next year. And I think one other really important part to that, guys, as you alluded to, Jeff, is, you know, these are not templated contracts that come from NASCAR, right? These are the race teams and the drivers, and they have their individual types of contracts and the lawyers they work with, and they can be created in any way they want and sometimes have creative differences, right, that are uh, entirely different team to team. So it's, uh, it's very much an open market in that sense, and so there's no real templated you know, form to the simple to a contract as much as there is a lot of room for creativity, a lot of room for things to be different. And so it's really hard from us on the outside to really know the particulars there. But as you alluded to, considering that no one's really brought that up, it, it seems like they had, uh, you know, the ability to talk to other teams built in there or just had that allowed in the way it was created. That's a great point, Parker. This is not the NFL. It's not NBA. 
we have no idea what their contract are. The driver and the, and the owner negotiate. NASCAR has nothing to do with it. There are no normal contracts. This driver, owner, everyone looks completely different. That's a great point. All right, Jay, you're on. What's up, guys? Um, love the show. First time caller. So I got a question about uh, Corey LaJoy. Um, do you think he has a shot at a better cup ride, you know, with a generation of drivers about to retire or close to it? The 23XI Tyler Reddick move, Dale Jr. and Kelly thinking about joining the Cup Series. I mean, I think Corey has a chance at running better in the 48 car than Alex Bowman. That's my hot take. But I just want to know what y'all think about Corey earning a better Cup ride. I mean, it would make a lot of sense, Jay, to me. Like, I would think that, especially after the performance he turned in at Atlanta. Uh, where you know he's proven himself to be a really good super speedway racer, but I think going back to Burton's point earlier about the versatility that teams look for for drivers, and you know Kyle Petty talked about this on the NASCAR NBC podcast this week. I think that's where the jury is still out with Corey, and maybe always will be out until he gets in a you know top you know high quality ride where he can show he can run because all he's run for, as he said after Atlanta was teams that have typically run outside the top 30 in points. And so we don't really know how he can do with the, the other tracks on the schedule. So I think that's what we need to see. But I don't know if we're going to get to see that with Corey before he gets a chance with another team. I think it'll be, you know, does a team like Richard Childress Racing want to take that leap of faith and put him in their car? And, Nate, that's a really good point. And I think uh, I can tell you that, you know, Corey has definitely, his name has come up in different discussions through teams throughout the sport, I think, at times, especially in the last couple years and I think one of the things that Corey did that's really interesting is he made a choice you know he has had the ability and maybe the opportunity to go and possibly do a partial season in Xfinity or maybe in trucks have those chances to be and maybe winning equipment but he made a choice and has told me before you know he believed being in the cup series was the place to be getting cup experience to put himself in the conversation for a ride like the eight. So that has absolutely been his plan. I think he will be in those discussions. As you allude to, Nate, I think it's important for him to go show, you know, that speed at road courses and all the different types of tracks. But I think he definitely is in those conversations. And this is the the choice he made and his decision in putting himself in the Cup Series and not always the best equipment, but being in the Cup Series and hoping that this strategy pans out for him. So, so the other option is that Spire gets more funding. That is a, that another is true. option. That great Spire point. Could great point. Get, get bigger, and he could stay at Spire. They like him there. Uh, the one thing that that he, you know, listen, I, I'm a I'm bullish on on Corey LaJoy. Been that way for a long time. The problem Corey has, and every driver has this, is that until you show you can win at this level, no one really knows. Well, it's just it's and just that's what's hard for all drivers. It's just like you mentioned the the Xfinity series. So going in, into this weekend, well, who's one of the favorites? Well, we're going to look at Ty Gibbs as one of the favorites. Why? Right. Because he's in in strong equipment. We know what he can do, or at least we think we know what he can do. Corey LaJoy has not been in that type of equipment throughout his career, like you mentioned. So uh, you have to look at finer points with Corey LaJoy. It may be a little bit of a harder sell if you're comparing a Corey LaJoy and the Ty Gibbs. And, and, and that's not fair to, to Corey, but that's a reality. And he, I think he understands that with what he was talking about to you, Nate, after the race. And that's the challenge that, that he faces. Well, we had a great conversation about the cup race uh, with, uh, with William Byron's crew chief, Rudy Fugel. Uh, we got Xfinity race this weekend. That series is on fire. A lot of drivers mad at each other. A lot of you know, people ready to get it. And also, those guys are trying to earn their way into the positions we've all been talking about. So there's a lot of drivers that believe 
that they can be the next Jimmy Johnson. They can be the next Tyler Reddick. I'm the guy that you need, and they're all trying to prove that, and we get to watch that on Saturday in the Xfinity race on, on one of my favorite racetracks. Enjoy going there. Uh, great attitude. You won there great a few atmosphere. times. Yeah. That's all I like it. Great yeah, atmosphere. Every lap, one year. Great people. Join us on Sunday. Uh, USA. Remember, USA this weekend. All your NASCAR action. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.